0: Hey listeners, I'm Adam, and this is Can I Ask You a Question, a podcast where anyone is welcome to join me for an episode to share their thoughts on a topic of their choice. I'm looking forward to hearing new opinions and perspectives, and hopefully becoming a bit more open-minded along the way. If you're interested in joining me for a future episode, feel free to check out the sign-up link in this episode's description. This episode is brought to you by the Everyday App. Technically, this is an ad, but the Everyday app has honestly been super helpful for me, and I wouldn't partner with a company if I didn't genuinely believe in the product. So, what does the app do? It basically helps you track your habits so that you can see your progress over time. There's a common business saying, what gets measured gets managed. Like I said, it usually applies to businesses, keeping track of things like their sales and customer satisfaction, but I think it's just as relevant for personal goals too. It sounds like a simple concept for an app, but I have personally found it to be super effective in helping create new habits. The app lets you add whatever habits you're currently working on building. For me right now, some of those include reviewing my to-do list each day, uh, so that I stay on top of the things I want to get done, another one is going to the gym, and another one is limiting my time on Twitter to five minutes a day. The app lets you add three habits for free, so you can see if you find it helpful. If you soon realize you want to track more than three habits like I eventually did, the paid version lets you track unlimited habits and has other cool features, and it's pretty good value in my opinion. There's a link in the episode description that gets you 10% off. All right, let's jump into today's conversation. Let's do it. I just started the recording. Okay. Uh, All right, let's jump in. Okay. So the intro question, it'll probably, we'll probably go into different directions a bit. Okay. But the intro question is sort of around how do you find the balance between uh, the potential for false positives and false negatives? Initially, I was thinking in, like, the criminal justice system, but I feel like it could apply to, like, medical testing or anything. Mm.
1: Okay. So the way I think of this is – One, you have to go through like a mental exercise in your head and go from step to step to step uh, to come to the most optimal conclusion that you see fit or I guess that one sees fit who's listening. Uh, I'll run you through mine, but someone else who doesn't agree may lead to a different point or land on a different point. Um, I also do focus on the criminal justice system just because I think that's the easiest one with a lot of, there's like so many different examples of where it failed, where it was positive and things like that. Uh, whereas with science and medical testing, because I'm not the most familiar with the science and the studies, it's harder to land on what's definitively right and what's definitively wrong. Whereas with criminal justice, putting an innocent man to death, I don't think anyone would agree that that's definitive, that's morally right. So it's easier to get a common starting ground. Okay. So actually on that note, I I think the one thing about making this argument is One, you got to work backwards, which I will. And two, you have to start from a basic understanding, which is we don't know. We don't know everything that occurs with crime, with murders, with robberies, with rapes, with terrorism. We don't know if the person being accused actually did it. All we can do is prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. But because we don't know for sure, you always have to have at the back of your mind, what if they didn't do it? What if they're innocent? Um, so I frame my argument always with that in
0: mind. So, so what what is the what do you think is the right ratio between uh, guilty people being let go versus innocent people getting uh, convicted?
1: Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I I actually listened to someone I don't remember who. They they must have been on a Joe Road given podcast and they were talking about what percentage do like the innocence projects or well-known organizations that fight for uh, or fight on behalf of uh, innocent people being falsely incarcerated. What percentage of people in jails are actually that? Uh, So here's one from Cora.com. And basically what it said, it meant, I think they came down to anywhere from like 5% to 20%. And again, it's hard to range, to guess a range. That's why the it's – hard, it's hard to pinpoint. That's why the range is so much.
0: What What's 5
1: to 20%? The percentage of people in U.S. prisons who are innocent. What? Yes. Wow. Okay, hold on. Sorry. Here's one. According to the Innocence Project's estimate, between 2.3% and 5% of all U.S. prisoners are innocent. Okay. This is vis- very specific language, because another thing that was brought up with the previous numbers I told you is with certain drug crimes it's like if someone gets is busted for possession of weed let's say they had like i don't know 14 grams of weed after three times it doesn't matter if you're caught three times the three strike rule you'll get like 20 years obviously that's absurd so you got to so the question is how does that inflate the numbers i don't know but i think according so from the Innocence Project's perspective when they say 2.3% to 5% I think they're saying legitimately innocent, not the example that I discussed with the wheat.
0: Okay. So, okay. So on your, on your first point, you were saying it's worse that an innocent person is put in jail than a guilty person getting, uh, not, not being found guilty. Right.
1: Yeah. So actually I'll, I'll bring up something I learned in high school. So I'm Jewish and Jewish philosophers have debated this over time. And what they came down to is if you have, if you have 10 people, one is innocent, nine are murderers. And you we, we know nine of them are murderers, one of them is innocent. What do we do? Do we send them all to jail because you don't know which one is innocent? Or do you let them all go free? And what they came down to was you let them all go free. Because it's worse to punish someone for doing something they did not do, even then letting a bunch of people who are objectively bad go free and 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 cause more harm to society. it's worse to society as a whole, but that one innocent person who didn't do anything gets punished
0: did Did they talk about if if the ratio is higher, like a hundred people ninety nine are guilty one's innocent or a thousand people nine hundred ninety nine are guilty one's innocent does it does it change at a certain point?
1: I don't know that's a good question, and I don't have an answer for you
0: well what's it what's it in your mind so let, let's say uh we could have a whole conversation around the death penalty and whether or not it should exist but let's yeah let's say you're you're in a state where death penalty still exists yeah What 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 is that ratio what do you feel like it has to be at least um like how how many how many <laughs> how many murders are you willing to to set free in exchange for uh? like not letting an innocent person um, get the death penalty. And I guess in in practicality, I guess, like for those listening, and and this in my mind too, I'm trying to wrap my head around, like how is this actually practical in real life? And I guess this is the degree to which, like where is the line on the beyond a reasonable doubt?
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: And if it requires like more evidence, then you're going to end up having – Uh you're gonna have so a false negative.
1: Yeah. Is when you put an innocent person to death. An innocent person is convicted of murder that they didn't do and you put them to death. Right. In principle, an infinite number of guilty people I would let go to prevent that one innocent person from being put to get to death. In principle. In principle.
0: No, but we mean in in practicality, like how, how what should we do in the in the in in our criminal justice system, because oh. because in to your point, if it's infinite, yeah, then we would never be able to send anyone to jail because we can, you can make a case, you can never know with hundred percent certainty, yeah. that someone is guilty,
1: yeah. But hold on a second, I wanna I wanna sidestep the conversation and and touch upon the death, the thing about death. So let let's distinguish. Let's say you have nine hundred ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine guilty people, one innocent person. Yeah, And we're only talking about death penalty. I would not put all those to death because I don't know which one is innocent. I would say, you know what? Let's get rid of the death penalty and do jails. And this is actually one of the reasons that I personally am against the death penalty. Because there is never that certainty, I don't feel comfortable putting, with the risk of someone being innocent, I don't feel comfortable putting anyone to jail. I, I believe, I think this year, I don't remember what, news media, but they said an innocent person in Alabama was, was going to be murdered this week or this month.
0: So you, and this you prefer, is why I'm fundamentally
1: opposed to the death penalty.
0: You prefer jail to the death penalty because maybe later on evidence will come out that will prove that the person's innocent.
1: Yes. And this okay. at the very extreme prevents a false negative. So at the very extreme of putting someone to death, you prevent the false debt negative by putting an innocent person to death by just getting rid of the death penalty whatsoever. And that's why I am personally as stated. I know some people say it's a different discussion, but I use the principle of the same. I'm against the death penalty unilaterally across the board, even if for terrorism, because of this potential for false
0: negative. I, I don't expect you to have a uh, an answer to this, okay. but what do, you, what do you think's worse? Uh, someone who's innocent being put like found guilty of murder and put in a maximum security prison for the rest of their lives. Okay. Or just getting the death penalty. Like, like is, is, is life so miserable in this maximum security prison that you're better off just killing them? <laughs> you know what? That's a whole different book. <laughs> like, I, I wonder, know. I wonder what percentage, cause your argument was, okay, uh, put them in better to put them in jail than the death penalty, just in case evidence comes out to, to prove that they're, they're innocent at some point in the future i yeah. wonder I wonder what percentage of people who are innocent who are put in jail are later uh later found to be innocent versus have to just write out their sentence like how often do we actually f- correct the the mistake Do you know what I mean
1: yeah that is a good question another thing to build on to that is. Like, I don't know the inner workings of jail, like how good behavior and, and all these things play a part. Like, I I actually don't know how those can commute your sentence. Um, I From Hollywood and the movies, my understanding is good behavior can commute your sentence. Uh, and I, I think there is some truth to it. But you're right. It is a very, very hard philosophical question that I have no experience whatsoever to answer, which is, is jail worse than death? I don't know. I'm going to say no. I'm going to
0: say no. Did you, I I didn't look into it that much, but I didn't come up when I was uh, researching a bit before this conversation, I didn't see what the actual ratio is right now of false positives to false negatives. Um, Did you, did you come across anything like that? Or if, if not, do you, do you have any thought on in your mind, if, if you think it should be increased or decreased, like. Uh hmm. in terms of the beyond a reasonable doubt, do you want to see that uh pushed further or 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 loosened? Well, well,
1: I guess I would say loosened with going again, going back to the idea of the death penalty. Like I, I don't think so in Canada we don't have the death penalty. Various states in the US have the death penalty. So from that perspective, I think you would have to loosen them because there is the chance for false. Uh, uh, negatives and, or I guess false positives and p- innocent people being put back to death to eliminate that and loosen it. Let's eliminate the death penalty whatsoever. And it, it may be different now. Like my opinion may change in 20 years because my understanding now is that with DNA evidence starting to emerge, all these ridiculous, uh, all these ridiculous sentences that or all these ridiculous, uh, I guess, crimes that were done in the 70s 80s 90s where they didn't have any scientific data to back it up where it was primarily like like there i I think there was a lot of racism against certain individuals and that actually played a part in them being set uh, being put in jail and now that we have all these things coming out to exonerate them you're having records amount of of primarily african-americans being set free because now they're actually getting a fair trial and even if it was a heinous crime, the, the death penalty eliminates any possibility for that to change. So, so that's why like I, I take a firm stance on that, completely get rid of that. And also, so now I, I see a headline. I, again, it's hard to just go by headlines, but the Innocence Project 2018, a record year in, in exonerations. In 2018, together we've exonerated nine innocent people, the most ever in the Innocence Project's 26-year history and helped pass 17 wrongful conviction reforms in 14 states. After spending more than 215 years in prison combined, our clients are, a, are where they belong, home with their loved ones. Wow, actually, that's remarkably small. Only 17 in the entire year. Oh, sorry, only nine in the entire year. That's, that's actually a very small number. I was expecting it to be much higher.
2: Hmm.
1: Wow. But, okay, here, here's one of the examples. A guy, 1980. African-American individual arrested for rape uh, as, as a result of uncertain identification. Uh, he was facing life without parole. Uh, the attorneys failed to present an effective defense. So just a lot of things. It's easier to correct going back when you look at things. And again, so I, I think I'm, I'm now repeating myself a couple of times, but so that's why I, I maintain my strong stance on the death penalty.
0: How how much how much money how should we think about how much money to give to people who are wrongfully convicted? Okay, that's a
1: very interesting question. I will say, with regards to money, I'm also willing to have my tax dollars go to jails. Like I, I'm willing to pay for that. Uh, in terms of money and paying people, that's very difficult. Uh, I I think I, I watched the central. Or I, oh, sorry, they changed their name. The Exonerated Five. I was going to say the other name. I watched the Exonerated Five, the documentary on Netflix. It's the, the TV series, and they got like a couple million dollars each. One of the guys got a little bit more than the other. I think he got like thirteen million because he's really suffered in jail. So that's a really difficult question. I, I don't think I. I haven't really put much thought into that. That's hard to answer. But mm-hmm. so there's actually so there's one thing though. I want to jump. So. We talked about the most extreme form of punishment, which is death penalty, and I've stated my position on it. So if you agree with me, then let's move to the next level that's a little bit less extreme in terms of crime. I guess if you don't, I guess if you don't agree with me and you're a listener, you have to figure out where you draw the line. But if we go to the next stage is, I would say, normal crimes, murder, stealing, rape, stuff like that, and policing. How do we... How do we as a society manage essentially the policing and the investigations into these crimes to prevent a false positive from occurring? And I actually think this is something that needs to be discussed. discussed. Uh, there's a lot of, there, I think there's, there's a decent amount of times where police coerced uh, uh, criminal or potential, they, they coerce suspects into admitting to crimes that they didn't do. I don't know. It's really hard as a listener to, or even myself to imagine how this could possibly happen. Like I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Why would I ever say you did it? But apparently there's a lot of evidence out there that this just happens. People, police strike bargains. Hey, say what I want you to say and you'll get out of here. You've been in this room for, for 12 hours, no food, no water, and you're just really hungry or thirsty. Like you can get into people's minds. And again, going back to the Top of conversation, this can produce a false positive. So, this is another step where I draw my level. If you have a bunch of innocent or a bunch of guilty people that we know that this method of interrogation works on them, but we also know it works on innocent people to admit to crimes they didn't do, I will take the moral stance going against this form of interrogation. Like, I, I'm against the idea of taking a, a suspect, depriving them of a bunch of different things like food, water, sleep, which is, is often a case, getting them to confess to crimes, that is then later proved on that they didn't, uh, uh, they didn't do. I think going back to the Exonerated Five, the five boys from uh, New York, that is what happened to them.
0: Who, who are the Exonerated Five? I don't know the story.
1: Uh, well, they were formerly known as the Central Park Five um essentially it was five teenagers they were convicted of rape of a jogger and they were given a plea deal all of them pleaded guilty uh and then later on i believe in 2014 the city of new york settled for 41 million dollars uh and paid, they released the boys and they paid innocent. them out yeah. yeah exactly they're innocent so and the reason it came down to it was they were juveniles. Number one, one was actually charged as, adult, as an adult who was 16 years old. I don't think I'm in favor of that. But again, they, they, uh, they admitted to crimes they didn't do. And there's, so on the Netflix documentary, which I actually think there's a lot of truth to, the police pinned one against the other. Hey, this guy saw you in there with the park. Well, and then one of the kids admits to doing the crime and says, but I didn't actually do it. I was only there. He was the one who actually did it. So they're all admitting each other were there even though none of them were there because the police were playing mind games and tricking them.
0: There's so. there's so many fascinating aspects of how the legal system set up like to your point. Yeah. Uh how to treat adults versus minors. Yeah. Uh like another one that really interests me is uh what's it called when they try to prove that they are mentally fit to stand trial, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like in my view, someone who's murdered someone, yeah like they i i I find it hard to believe that anyone who murders someone else is mentally stable to the same degree as you and i are or anyone listening right now right like there's something there's something mentally unstable by nature in that you you've murdered someone so like that's that's does that make sense well I, i understand what you're saying i
1: just don't know if i agree Like, I I think like, what does it mean to be mentally, mentally stable? That's the, that's really the question. And I, I don't think I know the answer, but like, I I think a lot of times murders happen out of desperation or something, or, or out of, out of reactions, out of anger, things like that. Like we, most people are really easily angered and it's so easy to get angry at someone and someone just takes it a step too far and either pulls out a gun, stabs them, runs them over with their car, something like that.
0: So, can't can, Couldn't you make an argument that yeah. if you are someone who gets angered to the point where you feel it's necessary to kill someone, there is something mentally unstable about you? Like, you could you could, not make that argument?
1: You definitely could. But I don't think that it's as simple as that because I think a lot of, at least for, se- I think second degree murder is when you murder someone just in the heat of the moment. First degree murder is when you plan a murder. Yeah. So your argument, your point would apply to first degree murder. When you intended to kill them, you planned it all out. But I don't think it would apply to second degree when it's quite frequently, I'm pretty sure second degree is just one off. Like you you just get angry one day or you just kill someone, you had no intention of killing them.
0: I know. But I think first, of, it's it's fairly unlikely that me or you are ever going to kill someone in our lives out of anger. And I think yeah. that's because we are more likely we're more mentally stable than someone who out of anger commits second degree murder. Like, okay, that's what, that's the argument I'm making.
1: Okay. I want to change the scenario. Let's say I'm really poor and I have two kids. I steal from a place, um, some money to go buy food. I get caught. If I'm not there to provide for my kids, I suspect a bunch of bad things are going to happen to them, which I think is, is natural in a, Spur of the moment decision. I say I need to be there for my kids. You're going to turn me into the cops, kill the person who caught me.
0: Yeah, it's complicated.
1: And I think, like a lot of times when there's robberies and, and things like that, and someone dies, I think that's for the most part that's what happens in these in these situations. Yeah.
0: That's so point. yeah.
1: So it, it makes things it makes things very tricky. But I, but I guess again, so so now that going back to what I was previously talking about, the, the various levels where you want to f- prevent the false positives when you're not sure and you can coerce individuals into admitting to things they didn't do. I think we have to look at the policing system and the investigation invest the uh, the policing system and things like that to figure out, are we willing as a society to let this happen, to let innocent people admit to things they didn't do and if I was a jury and I saw someone admitted to something they didn't do, it'd be very difficult to say, well, what the hell? They, they literally are on video admitting to the crime. How can I now not believe them? So I think we have to reevaluate that level of, of interrogation, let's say, to, to see, are we willing to have these false positives occur? And I actually think it's unacceptable. We should not allow this to happen.
0: So I just searched up what percentage of certainty does beyond a reasonable doubt supposed to mean? Yeah. Uh, this is just one source, but I had never seen a percentage assigned to it before. Yeah. What what do you think it is? Have you seen? what? What's your guess at what the percentage is that this source says is supposed to represent beyond a reasonable doubt? Well, with a jury,
1: I think it has to be 100% in agreement. I thought an entire jury has to agree with the conviction in order for it to be a conviction. Whereas if at least one person doesn't think they're guilty, so wouldn't
0: possibly. Okay. Fair. So first of all, I'm not sure about that, but even if that is the case, even, even if every single person on the jury says that they think they're guilty, each of those people might be 90% sure that they're guilty. Sorry. Yeah. So fair. I guess it's kind of complicated in the way that it happens, Anyways, this this source says they place it in a certainty range of 98 to 99%. Okay. Based, based on that, I okay. think you would expect that for every 100 people who are found guilty, 98 or 99 of them actually committed the crime and one okay. or two of them are innocent. Like that's what it would suggest, right? Yes. So, what how how does have you seen that like how does that Ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent. How do you feel about that? Would you have expected it to be higher or lower than that? Oh, that's difficult.
1: I, I think I'd expect it to be lower, to be honest. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the problem is, is we can take historical examples and and see if they fit within this narrative, or see if we're acceptable. If they if they fit within this example, see if they're acceptable. So again, I'll use the the Central Park Five or the Exonerated Five. They were kids. So even if that ninety nine percent applies to them, there's five of them. So we get four hundred and ninety five positive convictions on murderers. Five kids go to jail who are innocent. That's five kids. Like I, and and I I don't mean this from an emotional standpoint. I mean this from a a well, I guess my emotions could be tied with more morality, but I mean it, I, I'm trying to argue from a, a moral standpoint, but that is unacceptable. Five kids to go to jail. My perspective is unacceptable, especially if they didn't do it.
0: Cause you're thinking about their lives being ruined, ruined,
1: completely ruined. But,
0: completely ruined. but you also have to think about if you want to reduce the chances yeah. of those five kids getting put yeah. in jail, then you have to raise the bar in terms of what, beyond a reasonable doubt means, which means that more people who are actually guilty are going to be set free because there's not going to be enough evidence to prove them. of so, and those people might go on to commit crimes and could hurt people that otherwise wouldn't have been hurt. So there's that trade off.
1: There is a trade off. I completely agree, but there's one differentiating thing as a society. We would agree that if these five kids go to jail and they're innocent, it's bad as a society. I think we would also agree if a bunch of murderers don't go to jail, then go on to kill other random people, that's bad. But we don't, we don't sort of acknowledge the middle step, which is if the kids go, go to jail, it's, it's a 100% bad. It's certain. If the murderers are set free, they may not necessarily murder. They may not necessarily commit a crime. I'm sure it's very likely that they commit a crime, but it's not 100%. So we're conflating two 100% in the trade-off to things that are certain that I don't believe are. And, and I think that's really where, you, that's where the, the equation has to be changed. It's not either these kids go to jail or these people are released and kill a bunch of other people. It's the possibility that they kill, but the possibility actually dilutes the negative that comes from us, Not going to jail, if that makes sense. Yeah. And and so that dilutes the the level of bad that comes from not sending guilty people to jail, which then allows you to do a different trade-off calculation, depending on where you find the appropriate trade-off.
0: So you're saying uh, if today 2% of people in... If the wrongful conviction rate today is 2%, yeah, you're saying maybe you you experiment with trying to decrease that to one percent, or see yeah. what happens when it increases to three percent, and like you try to assess overall did things get better or worse. And I guess it's tough because there's just so many variables involved.
1: Yeah, but and because it's so tough, that's why I say you make certain rules that, regardless of whether the person is guilty or innocent, you're willing to live by. So I guess going down a level to extreme, I'm willing to live by not having a terrorist as the worst example of a criminal killed because I'm not willing to let an innocent person kill. Let's completely get rid of that out of the equation so there's no possibility for it to occur. With regards to policing and ethical and policing and ethical investigations, I think something has to be, I think there has to be an argument against coerced confessions yeah. hardcore interrogations that you deprive the suspect of sleep. You deprive them of food and water that they it gets them to say things that they don't necessarily, they, that they didn't do. Yeah. Again, it, it, because it's so hard to figure out where what's right and what's wrong. As long as we set these, these frameworks and these lines, you eliminate the possibility of that thing occurring. And even though I agree, you may have criminals who definitely did do the crime, because they have not been starved, because they have not been deprived of sleep or food or water, they may not then confess to committing the crime, fine, but I'm willing to live with that.
0: I'm curious, is your view the same on collateral damage? Your stance? that you, because That's a great question. If I was to carry over your stance, I think it would say that... Collateral damage is not acceptable under any circumstance.
1: Okay, that's very difficult, and I see exactly. I see what you're doing, and I think that's a great thing to do. But like try to make that that parallel. The only difference is, I do think a government has a. Responsibility to its own citizens more so than it has responsibility to citizens of another country The United States government has more of a responsibility to protect the rights and freedoms of American citizens than another country citizens I'm not advocating go crazy with collateral damage. I'm just saying you have to take more A government has to be more diligent with its own citizens. Why is that?
0: Why is that? well
1: Oh, why? Well, I guess because the the citizens make up the government. The citizens are the ones who make up the government, at least in democracy. The government Mm. may say, like I I guess the U.S. Army is in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan. I don't know the most of what's going on, but uh, the U.S. Army is in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm sure they're not happy with the locals having AK-47s. In the U.S., you are allowed to have an AK-47 because the, the, the government. At least for now, has the right to has the responsibility to uphold the American uh population's rights, and part of that right is the ability to bear arms and carry an AK-47.
0: So so would your stance be uh no collateral damage is acceptable when your own when your own people are gonna be affected? I would
1: I I would like to. I would like to put that stance. Why very- why
0: are you hesitant? I'm curious why. What's the, how you view it maybe being different?
1: Well, I guess because we have no poss- there's no way of being certain that someone did a crime. If I were to take it to that extreme, then you would have no no one in jails basically. And like, no one would be convicted of crimes to guarantee that there is zero collateral damage whatsoever. So I think that, you see what I'm saying? Like no. to completely eliminate the possibility for someone being convicted of a crime who is innocent.
0: No, but you said you're, you can live with someone being wrongfully convicted. You just don't want the death penalty. So you you can live with them being put in jail wrongfully, yeah. which makes sense because in practicality, yeah. otherwise no one's ever going to get sent to jail.
1: It, well, exactly that. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I was going to say on the collateral damage piece, because you, you make the hard stand on, stance on the death penalty. Yeah. And I guess when I say collateral damage, I mean deaths. Like ones yeah. where you are positive positive. Yeah. that Whatever action you're going to take to take out an enemy or a terrorist or something, it's going to result in the death of one of your people.
1: Yeah. That yeah, that's a that's tough. I, I would like to say that yeah, I do take the no collateral damage. Yeah. Uh, route.
0: You, so what is what is the U.S.'s stance on collateral damage? Do you know? I think they're fine with it.
1: <laughs> I think well, I think every I think every government tries to minimize it. But you can't eliminate it. I think the objective is to minimize it. But well, you could,
0: you could, right? You, you could just, just say don't. we 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 will not allow any collateral damage. You could take that stance.
1: You could. I, I do. I do agree. You could, but I think then you you are very limited in what you actually do. Then. Yeah. Like I think you could do almost nothing to to guarantee that you do not have any collateral damage. Yeah. Okay, so I I, I, I came across something that falls into this narrative. Have you ever heard of carding? Carding with a D or T? With a D. No. Okay. So carding is basically a police policy where the police were able to go up to random individuals and ask them for ID. So this actually had a racial component. Uh, So actually this brings us home to Toronto. So there was a racial component where a lot of people were advocating the police get rid of carding because they were unfairly targeting Black, or I guess uh, African-Canadians African on the streets of, uh, of Toronto. Now, the police were saying that may be correct, but it's working. So what they were finding is carting actually led to a higher amount of arrests and charges and catching the criminals who have done the, uh, the crimes. Actually, I'm pretty sure the police chief Not the current one, either the one before or a couple before. He was himself a person of color, and was in favor of carding because he said it worked. And again, this this is one of those examples that I discussed, or part of me this this falls into one of the things that I've discussed. Does it work? Apparently, the data says it works. So I'm not going to argue with the data, but I take the moral. I I take I apply my principles and my standards. I don't want a false positive to happen. When a police or when a, a member of the police approaches someone of uh, a, a person of color, there is that, there is that immediate, uh, I don't want to say hostility, but there's that level of fear or I guess that level of resentment or, or it's something along those lines. And, and that's one of the arguments against carding. And I, I go back to this. A, pol- uh, a police officer cannot come up to you in Canada and just ask you for ID. I believe you have to be, they have to have reasonable cause to ask you to search your car, to ask you for ID, things like that. So there are like, there's all those videos on YouTube. A cop comes up to someone, can I see your ID? What do you suspect me of a crime? No, I just want to see your ID. Like the cops don't have that right to get that information. So when you introduce carding, they're saying that the results are working. We are getting more arrests for the people committing crimes, but you're also getting a lot more collateral damage. I'm going to use the word collateral damage, but you're getting a lot of people as well who are not guilty of anything who are having their rights violated. So that in, comes it, into the false false positive.
0: In, in that example where you were saying that your moral view didn't align with the data, right?
1: No, 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 sorry. The data is one thing. I'm not, I'm not arguing the data. I'm saying my moral view doesn't argue with the doesn't align with the conclusion that the data is supporting. That's right. That's what I'm saying.
0: Right. Where, where I was going with that is, do you think maybe that the conclusion from the data is wrong? Like, do you think maybe, maybe I'm going to have to, I didn't want to like lead you on and tell you where I was going with it. But so where I was going with this is like, maybe, maybe there's the conclusion of the data is wrong. Okay. When, when your morals and your gut is telling you that this is not the way to do it. So what I mean by this is like, my gut says yep. that long-term yep. data would support that this is not the right thing to do. Maybe in a very short-term perspective, yeah. it could help. But long-term, it could cro- cause more problems. So an example would this would be like, let's say there's like a terrorist attack in, in Canada. And yep. the terrorist is, is like, uh, the religion is Jewish, okay?
2: Yes, yeah.
0: And then... Maybe the data would support that like, you know, going and like uh, temporarily putting like every Jewish Canadian in a prison temporarily, like until they figure out what's going on would actually reduce the likelihood of a follow-up terrorist attack. But like long-term, maybe there's like, there's serious issues with doing something like that. Yeah. Probably not the the, the best example, but I guess where I'm going with that is like, I wonder if the, if the data in that example is like very short term minded and the long term effects of, in your example of, of, uh, like uh, stopping like African Canadians, like if that has long term implications on like trust in government and stuff like that.
1: That's actually a very interesting perspective that, well, it's interesting because you're 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 framing, you're looking at the data from a different perspective, which probably leads to that conclusion, which it fosters less trust, and I agree. But I, from the criminal perspective, and from the false positive in the criminal justice system, I'm still against this idea because it has the possibility for a false positive, and it also seems slightly racist. I guess not slightly; it seems definitely racist. But according to the government, the Ontario Superior Court ruled, so that I'm reading now from uh, Wikipedia, but they're quoting Justice Frederick Myers, one who is not being investigated for, crimin- for criminality is allowed to walk down the street on a cold night with his or her hands in, his- in their pockets and to-, to tell the inquisitive police officers to get lost without being detained. You are allowed to say to a police officer who says, can I see some ID? For what? Nothing. I just want to see ID according to a judge you are allowed to do that and say get lost because you're not being investigated for a crime so the so the second you detain that person you are creating a false positive that person may be innocent but the second you detain them you create you're creating an issue which sure may have resulted in in the apprehension of criminals in the past but aside from the racial Argument, which if not completely destroys the reason for carding, from my moral perspective of the false positive, or I guess from the framework of this debate, you're creating a false positive there, and, and that that goes in line with the the enhanced interrogation of criminals, where you can't just you have a moral obligations to enforce the rights of your citizens as a as a government. You can't just do this in in the best interests of society. Because I'm sure a lot of the advocates say, well, even though we were racist or even though it was an, uh, a lot of people felt it was racist or even though we caught a lot of uh, or even though we, we detained a lot of innocent people, we caught a lot of bad guys, too. And overall, society as a whole is better off because we caught a lot of bad guys. But that's the whole collateral damage argument. Even though we did something bad, we caught a lot of bad guys and we kept you guys safe. So you're overall better off. And I'm against that principle. They still have to have laws and rules and frameworks that make sure they don't they don't foster and create these false positives. So this is a, a similar example to that.
0: Hmm.
1: So I guess the really the overall the overarching question is innocent till proven guilty. Like that that's really the the fundamental question of all criminal justice false positive debates. You can go and claim anyone. Did X. Anyone uh, stole from me, anyone raped me, anyone killed me or killed someone I know. Like you can claim these arguments, but it's on you to produce the evidence. If you are unable to, that person is innocent. Because in the eyes of the law, you cannot be, you should not be required to say why you didn't do something. Pardon me. In the eyes of the law, if there's two people, an accuser and someone being accused, it's on the in the the burden of proof is on the accuser to say why that person did it. It's not on the person accused to say why I didn't do it. It's, it's, a, it's really hard to say I didn't do this because of X, Y, and Z. And that's, yeah. that's another framework that we set in motion for our criminal justice system to prevent the false positives. That's probably the biggest one out of everything. The biggest way to prevent the false positives, you are innocent till proven guilty. You are unable to be charged of a crime, even if you did it, unless you, they can prove that you did it.
0: Like uh my head is now stuck on, on the piece you said around like your moral your morals not aligning with the conclusions of the data. And with I,
1: with the short term conclusions of the data, with with that specific conclusion.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm just wondering if like if that's if that can always be trusted as a guide is like essentially your gut around what the moral thing is. If, yeah. if the conclusion of the data doesn't doesn't align with it, like is there always something wrong with with the data or or is your, like, moral view wrong? So uh, another example would be, like, okay, utilitarianism. Yeah. Uh, the the view that, like, you do the action that maximizes the most, like, benefit overall for everyone. Yeah. Okay. So, like, an example that I've heard, like, I like utilitarianism, like, that view. Yeah. Um, an argument against it is they, they give this example where like you're a doctor and there's yeah. five people who need like a life-saving need an organ to save their mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And all five need a different organ. And yeah. you have someone else in the hospital who's healthy. Yeah. And they've come in for like I don't know the, to get their wisdom teeth out or something like that. And yeah. you you could like you could take their organs to save the other five people. Yeah. Anyways, the the argument they say like this is clearly a flaw in utilitarianism because yeah. utilitarianism would say, oh, you're going to save the five people. So you should do this. You should kill the, the person. Yeah. And obviously our moral says there's something like very wrong. with You can't do that. Right. Our morals, our gut says you can't do that. And yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I think I think our gut is right because. I think our gut is tapping into some long-term conclusions of the data that it's missing. So for example, like if that was ever discovered, if that was ever discovered that a doctor did that, yeah, I, I would never go to the hospital. Like, yeah. And that would have longer term real implications on people's health and stuff like that. I don't know if that does that, does that make
1: sense? Like that, that makes sense that no, that completely makes sense. And, and actually a similar thing happens here. You can actually make, a similar parallel to this whole idea of when you, when a bunch of people are sent to jail and a very small percentage of them are innocent. Yeah. Even though you can make a utilitarian argument that, well, overall society as a whole is better off. Yeah. You may actually foster so much distrust, distrust rather, uh, that come from just that 2%. Yeah. And the, the better off of society with everyone may actually be outweighed by uh, I'll say as before five children being in jail for something they literally did not do that you come the the data over long term goes against this so so that's actually reasonable but but that comes down to what you can't argue with the data all you can argue it is how you look at it and do you come to that conclusion or is that a reasonable conclusion to come to if the data is there the data is there so all I was saying before which aligns with this utilitarian argument is even though advocates of carding will say that it leads to higher arrests with criminals. So the data that's what the data says. Yeah. I'm not gonna argue against the data. Their conclusion is therefore society as a whole is better off when more criminals are arrested. Therefore we are going to continue with this policy. I disagree with that conclusion because I don't think society as a whole is better off. So that's where I guess my morals or my gut or something, or even I guess the longer term effect of the utilitarian argument can come into play.
0: Yeah. I think they're missing something in the data.
1: So that's a different, that's a different story. I think you're right. They are missing something.
0: Yeah.
1: That's a very interesting component. Hmm. So, okay. I'm going to talk about the, uh, I like talking about TV shows or movies because it's the easiest way to picture something. Have you seen uh, how to make a murderer on Netflix with Stephen Avery?
0: uh i've seen a little bit of it i never i don't think i finished the series okay it was a while ago it was it was maybe like four it came out like five years ago right yes okay
1: okay so for anyone who's listening this is going to be spoiler. A spoiler alert. Alert, yeah. so please don't or pause the video okay so on that note that whole tv series was basically framed around should he been put in jail for the murder uh, and why essentially he should not have been put in jail for the murder. Either he was innocent or the police did a bunch of bad things. They they didn't operate within the framework of how they're supposed to when investigating someone, and the, also the potential for planting evidence. So
0: was he found guilty on the show?
1: He was found guilty.
0: And so the say if he was actually innocent, or do we know? Or don't? We don't know. We don't know. Okay. you got to
1: make your own conclusion. The conclusion I came to was he probably was guilty. I do think he was guilty. Also it appears that the way the cops investigated him was not legitimate. It appears that there may have been evidence planted just to, just the way it appears. So yeah. one of the reasons to, to conclude that is apparently they searched the house five times and on the fifth search, they found some really big evidence that just, that seems too, too fishy. It seems too good to be true. And also it wasn't the same group of people continuously searching. It was a new group came in on the later searches. So even though they may have come to the right conclusion which is he is guilty they didn't do it in the right manner so i guess i am advocating that he should be set free i don't really want to get into he's free or he's not but it's just the idea of if you come to the right conclusion but you don't use the right way to get there if you if you come to the conclusion that someone who is guilty who actually did the crime if you come to the conclusion that they did do the crime but you break the law in coming to that conclusion are we fine with that?
0: No, I agree with you. You want to, you want to conduct it, you want to conduct the investigation in a proper way. And that, and
1: that's, and the reason why is because maybe in his case we're we're certain that he did the crime, but for other people that were not certain that did the crime, if the police are going to act this way, we can't allow it to happen. And and that comes down to, I I, I guess there's a lot of distrust that that happens, but. That's why I'm all for setting these frameworks and lines and boundaries to eliminate the possibility of the false positives occurring like that. So we don't even need to discuss if the false positives are worth it or not worth it to society as a whole. You set these frameworks so you eliminate the possibility. So like, I don't know, there's a bunch of cops in Ontario who were convicted of planting heroin on people they would pull over. Uh, They were usually lower income individuals who the cops would pull over. And basically, the cops were planting heroin and and seizing uh, and, sorry and arre- and seizing the heroin when they searched the car, finding the heroin when they searched the car which they just planted, and then arresting the individuals. This is one of the trickier situations, but
0: what's the reason do you know why they would do this? Do they have like quotas on a certain number of people they need to arrest? like I know they have i I've, I've heard that police officers have that around like uh, fines yeah to bring in like a certain amount of money yeah is it the, so, is it the same for arrests i don't know actually that's a good question to search that would seem kind of crazy to me you must arrest a minimum of x number of people
1: by the way i need to go to the bathroom so give me a sec
0: okay pause it Sorry. Okay. No worries. So I looked it up. So uh, unclear. It sounds like there aren't any actual quotas per se. Yeah. But that definitely, in terms of uh, tickets, like speeding tickets, cops yeah. feel pressure uh, when when all the when other cops are bringing in more money for their department. Yeah. So they feel pressure to also give tickets. And I imagine maybe not to the same degree, but I imagine maybe cops could feel pressure as well around, uh, arrests. If if other cops are doing a better job of arresting people and I'm a cop and I I haven't arrested anyone, my, my boss could think I'm slacking off. So maybe like if I'm a cop and I'm just worse at my job and I'm, and I'm, and I'm having trouble finding real criminals, then yeah, maybe there's an incentive to, I would hope not, but maybe there's an incentive to arrest people who you don't actually think are, are, um, guilty of anything.
1: Well, well, yeah. And also I'm pretty sure whenever a a police organization comes to a major bust, like it's, it's viewed very positively. Like we, I'm. I've seen videos of like the the Coast Guard seizing like three billion or no, what was it like like couple like five hundred million dollars in cocaine from a submarine. It's almost like they they, it's it's looked on favorably when you reduce crime in some way. So I would imagine these police officers who were uh, busting people for heroin when they were actually planting it, they were not only. Uh, pulling someone over for a speeding ticket or something and finding this, but I don't, I don't, I think they had something to gain from, gain from it. I don't know how we stopped that, but I, I think they did have something to gain for it, which is one of these problems. So actually I want to pose a question to you. I've been thinking about this for a while. Okay. So I'm an engineer. If I build, if I design a bridge, for instance, I put my stamp on it and it falls collapses and a bunch of people die. If my stamp was on it, I'm legally liable. If you are a doctor you can be legally liable for misdiagnosing someone that and it causes to them Are we to talking
0: viable. civilly or criminally in both cases? Both. Okay, and both the doctor civilly and the, and the engineer,
1: huh? Civilly, I'm pretty sure anyone's liable for civil stuff like anytime. Yes, yes. I'm focusing on criminal. Yeah. So I'm liable for crim- from criminal charges. I'm pretty yeah. sure the same thing applies with a doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't actually know about, I'm trying to figure out business executives. If like a CEO does something not maliciously by mistake, or I guess, or maliciously, it's hard to improve intent.
0: I I think, I think, uh, business executives can get, can face, they definitely can face criminal, uh, punishment or whatever, criminal proceedings. But I think in the business world, at least the sentiment I've seen is that it's not well enforced. Like very few yeah. business people who do things that sh- technically by the law, they should serve time they very few of them do,
1: okay, so here's my question. Now, I'm not proposing this as just a question. Prosecutors, police officers. now, forget about when they plant evidence, which I'm pretty sure is unilaterally criminal. But what about if they ignore evidence? So there are a there are a fair amount of cases. Now I don't have them offhand. I would have to look into it and do the research. But there are examples where prosecutors or police ignored exonerating evidence, and there was, there was maybe not proof, but there was inclination—or no, maybe not inclination. There was, it was known, not definitively, but it was indefinitively known. Let's say later on, once the uh, the criminals or the the wrongly accused men or women were set free, it was determined that. Actually, the prosecutors and police officers had this evidence. They just ignored it. Should they be held liable criminally?
0: I, I think so. I think so. And I think it, it I matters. I think so too. I think it matters. Intent matters. So was yeah. it negligence or intent? And
1: Well, and, what if it is? Well, let's talk about negligence. If it was intent, mind you, it's hard to prove intent. But if it was intent, I think more people would say, well, yeah, of course, they should be held criminally. Let's go about negligence. That's what I'm curious about. Again, if I build a bridge and it collapses and people die, I'm held criminally responsible. If I'm a doctor and I misdiagnose someone, they take the wrong treatment and they die, they are held criminally responsible. If a prosecutor indirectly has a piece of exonerating evidence in their files, they ignore it. Someone goes to jail for 30 years or someone is put on death for the death penalty and it comes out later because they were negligent, should they be criminally
0: responsible so we we could probably have like a long conversation around negligence my I know that so you can you can get manslaughter right which is negligence yeah. which is about yeah. negligence and no intent uh, yeah. which which makes sense to me because you could be I think I think um, while negligence like in, in the manslaughter example you might yeah. not have intended to to hit someone and run them over, Yeah. but you did make the decision to be on your phone. Yeah, for example, which led to it. So I think it makes sense that there's some criminal responsibility there. And I, if it's if it's in the same way in this example with with a prosecutor somewhere where they, you know, I I I don't know. It's it's tough, right? Because to it's your tough. point, intent and negligence can be intertwined, kind of like yeah. it's not it's not black or white there's kind of like an, uh, a spectrum of intent
1: well well you're right because you you may have exonerating evidence that could that could lead to the exoneration of someone but you may not see it that way and i don't think you you may not be a prosecutor may not be doing or seeing the evidence in that way for malicious reasons they just may not see it that way they have confirmation bias they say a bunch of puzzle pieces pieces match just because this one piece doesn't match, it doesn't matter. I have a bunch of other pieces that match. So you're right. It's very difficult. But but I, I do think it's an idea that we have to entertain.
0: Yeah. And I imagine, I imagine that some... Well, definitely police officers have gone to jail for poorly handling things. Uh, maybe not as often as the public would, would like Yeah, in some cases, but it's definitely, it definitely happens. And uh, I imagine it's happened also with prosecutors.
1: Yeah. So here's an article from, there's Express UK or the Grio. It talks about, again, the, the Central Park Five. Um, so the question is the Central Park Five case where the racist cops and prosecutors are now. And they still maintain their, so the, the, the sub headline says they still maintain their stance despite being proven wrong. Um, the The prosecutor, the the woman, her name was Linda something. She wrote an article into one of the newspaper papers still asserting that the kids were guilty, maybe not of one crime, but of a different crime. Uh, Linda Fairstein, that's her name. Linda Fairstein, Manhattan DA, sex crimes, head. So, uh, basically she ran the whole division. Uh, never. So I, I guess the question is, should she be, so the, the, the taxpayers of New York had to pay like 44 or $45 million, or I guess the city of New York, but through the taxpayers had to pay $45 million to these people, to the central park five or exonerated five for being uh, wrongfully convicted. Should this prosecutor be how or should she and if she should how does she get punished or play a part in the 45 million going out or or does she lose her license like is there a way where we can come to a compromise that everyone's on board with or that is reasonable
0: yeah i mean like i'm not a, i'm not an expert on the law yeah but, but kind of in closing uh it's a good wrap-up because we kind of established that it, in practicality. There, yeah. there has to be some amount, unfortunately, of wrongfully convicted people in order yeah. for a le- in order for a legal system to exist. Otherwise, no one would ever go to jail. Yeah. So to that point, I think when it is discovered that someone was wrongfully convicted and is later found to be innocent, I think you got to look on a case by case basis. Yeah. You got to figure out how this happened. Yeah. And figure out uh, like. Yeah, like what intent to, seems to be the biggest thing. Like, did they purposely? Did the prosecutor or whatever? Did they purposely cover up evidence and stuff like that? And you got to look into it. Yeah, but yeah, it's got to be done in the spirit of preventing this from happening again, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's like oversight. It's there's a lot of government oversight committees. These seem reasonable, where they basically evaluate how the government spends money, how the government deploys, like uh, the use of. Uh, a force when overseas I'm pretty sure there is a department within policing as well like whenever a firearm is discharged that is is there's an analysis committee to determine or uh, now I'm I'm not sure if this is right I think it's right but someone could fact check me but there's an analysis to determine if the firearm was discharged properly and I think you should have some sort of community committee it's really hard to figure out how but with regards to prosecution just because they're they are the transition from the police department to someone going to jail or being sentenced to death. Yeah. Especially if they're innocent, which could be the worst thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very tough.
0: Yeah. You have to go soon, right?
1: Uh, yeah. I still have a couple more minutes though.
0: Okay. Uh, like when I, when I started thinking, like I said, I originally framed this question around the balance of false positives, false negatives in the context of the law. Which I yeah. think is the most interesting and important, so I'm glad we talked about it for, for the whole time. but there's I also started thinking about like how this concept relates to other things, like we talked about medical testing. so like right now with coronavirus, like yeah. what is the right rate in which you want to be giving people false positives and false negative tests, um, which I find interesting. Uh, oh, and- I got an
1: interesting one with
0: testing. So there's, there's that there's, I'll just talk about some of the other examples that came to mind and maybe you can share any that come to mind for you, but like yeah. social media, like Facebook decides to take down, they have to set up algorithms to decide yeah. which content they think is harmful or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they're not going to get their algorithms. They're not going to be perfect. So they have to find a balance. Yeah. Um, another one is like around like hiring.
2: Like, yeah.
0: Uh, Companies like you don't want to hire people who are bad, but you don't also don't want to miss out on people who are good. So there's like interesting things that all relate to this concept.
1: Okay. So, okay. So the first one I'll talk about is, is about drug testing. Yeah. And the one that I find more fascinating is the one with social media and Facebook. So I'll talk about the drug uh, testing one quickly. So I have to be as vague as possible. I know certain places where, you're not allowed to, even though marijuana is legal in Canada, you're not allowed to uh, smoke marijuana to do the job. I think this is the case with a lot of cops or a lot of police um, or not a lot, but some police unions in different cities, even though it's legal, you're not allowed to smoke marijuana when you're off the job, or I guess they say you're allowed to smoke marijuana so long as you're not working within the next either 48 hours, 72 hours, two weeks. So what cop is going to smoke weed on Friday? if they're not allowed to smoke weed within 72 hours of a shift, if they work on Monday, most people work Monday to Friday, but I know of an area where they do testing. So, uh, if they suspect you are high on marijuana or it influenced your decision, they'll test you, but they'll do a very vague test and they don't do it as positive or negative. It's it's negative or non-negative. If you're non-negative, a lot of people think it means positive, but not necessarily if you're non-negative this is just a very preliminary test it says have you smoked weed within it could be the last month but you may be allowed to smoke weed within a month you just may not be allowed to smoke within 3 days so if you test non-negative for smoking weed within a month they'll they'll excuse you from work and then they'll send you for further testing to see okay maybe he smoked weed a month ago but was out with the weed within his system when he was doing what What the incident that happened that we suspected that we that triggered the drug test So after that they'll then do a further analysis where I think they analyze your pee or something where it's much more detailed And you can pinpoint the timeline a lot more effectively and if that comes back negative They'll then reimburse you for all the time that you were off work and they'll immediately put you back and this sort of eliminates the possibility for a false positive because Well, I guess the other scenario is if you're P tested positive for marijuana and it it seems like you were on marijuana at the time of the incident, then they'll completely fire you. But But both tests are
0: not foolproof, right? There could be issues with the results.
1: But that's why, so that's why here they have a second test and their policy is framed around both tests. So you have the possibility for a false positive, but you're double testing after that to ensure that you're coming to the right conclusion. So, so you're I saying
0: do, the likelihood of them messing up both tests is highly unlikely. That's what you're exact,
1: saying. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: It could, I guess it could still happen, but it's it's even smaller chance.
1: Yeah. And I really like this one in terms of false positives, because even though at first you may test positive for marijuana, it's the broader test. It's mind you, it's also the cheaper test. Uh, the more detailed test is more expensive. But if that is triggered, you still may be able to go back to work just depending on what the more specific A costly test comes down to. So I thought that was a very interesting one that, uh, or a very interesting idea that is being enforced nowadays. I think a lot for police, uh, military, maybe the same way, TTC drivers, uh, pilots, things like that. uh, So you can avoid the false positive. But I wanted to touch upon one that you mentioned before, which was social media and how do we? uh, So so you want to frame the question again or? or touch back on that idea cuz i think that's a fascinating one. Yeah,
0: yeah, i guess uh, for social media, how do how should facebook for instance think about their algorithm around uh, automatically removing hate speech, obviously because it can't be done manually at such a scale. So yeah. they when they do the algorithm, they well you're you're never going to get to 100% accuracy. Where you're removing every single thing, yeah. Um, so they have to decide: do they want to pull down 99% of hate speech? Do they want to pull down 95%? And, yeah. and based on that, um, they're going to miss some, yeah. And, and they're also going to take down content that shouldn't be taken down that they've they've classified as hate speech that actually isn't. For example, yeah. So okay. like, yeah. How do you decide what the right balance is?
1: Okay, so there's there's a couple questions that you need to ask. First, what is Facebook? I think that there's a couple different ways you can classify them. One is a publisher, they publish these things, or one is a platform. They don't publish anything, individuals take responsibility for their own posts. So that's one question you have to answer. And here's why. A newspaper is not a platform, a newspaper is a publisher. If I write a letter to the editor piece and I call for something illegal, for instance, I call for the murder of someone I don't like. If the newspaper writes this, the newspaper is now legally responsible. I think I may also be responsible, but the newspaper is also responsible because they are a publisher. Is Facebook a publisher or is it a platform? If they are a platform, they eliminate the corporate liability against them. So if I write on my wall, we should go kill someone. I am now responsible, not Facebook. So Facebook first has to distinguish which one are they. Second, they need to have a very defined definition of hate speech. I think this is the first steps that they have to do to figure out where the line is. Because from one perspective, if they don't figure out where they if they're a publisher or a platform, you can't be both. And if you are both, you're going to expose your own personal bias. And if you're, if you're acting as if you were not biased, that's why you need these rigid lines or framework to define how you act.
0: Don't they define themselves as a platform? They do. So you're saying they shouldn't take down anything then?
1: I, I, I think there is an argument that could be made for them not taking down anything. Now, they can say they're a platform, but they still operate within the framework of the law.
0: Right, right.
1: So Which means if I call for someone to be killed on Facebook, that is illegal in the eyes of the law. I'm legally responsible, and they don't want to promote that because it is illegal, therefore they can take it down. But then what about you promoting ideas that may fall under the idea of hate speech? According to American law, hate speech is not a thing. Freedom of speech is all speech. You're not allowed to advocate for violence because that's not protected, but that's part of violence. So if you remove calling for violence against people, Hate speech is not a thing that's legally recognized in the United States, I believe, because the, con- the the Second Amendment, pardon me, the First Amendment protects all freedom of speech. So is Facebook a publisher or a platform? If they're a platform, they should leave it up. If they're a publisher, they can take it down, but then they just have to admit to being a publisher. And if you don't do one or the other, you expose your political biases. And that's the problem. Hmm. So this whole thing with fake news, I think Facebook has this whole thing where they're trying to not... Allow fake news ideas to be promoted on Facebook. That's fine. Like I understand why they're doing it. They may be doing it for noble reasons. They may be doing it because they're they may be doing it because they think they're doing, they don't want these bad ideas causing harm. Fine. You're not a platform. You're a publisher because you are interpreting what ideas are good, what ideas are bad, and who is allowed to say it. If you do that, you are not a platform, you're a publisher. That's fine if you're a publisher, just call yourself a publisher. And that's really the biggest problem that people have with social media companies.
0: When you, when you say these terms, platform versus publisher, are these clear things in US law that they say you must act differently if you're a platform or a publisher? Because I get the concept you're talking about, but like the, the concept makes perfect sense. I'm just wondering, like, are, are, do you legally treat them differently or did someone make up these concepts outside of the law?
1: I think, there, I think these ideas are, be, are coming into law. Okay. I don't think they're in there yet because I don't think American law has caught up to social media companies. So there's always that. There's that famous, I think Mark Zuckerberg went and did an interview on Capitol Hill and all the people interviewing him had literally no idea what the hell is going on with Facebook. It was remarkable. But I think this is really the question that has to be asked. With newspapers, there's no question. If a newspaper set, calls for something illegal, the newspaper is liable. If I call for it illegal on Facebook, though, who's liable? If I'm liable, Facebook doesn't need to take it down. The threat of law is already built into the system. And that's the problem that a lot of people have with Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. So I think, I think Jack Dorsey said, the CEO of Twitter, he said, or actually, for, let's, let's talk about Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook. He said he was going to allow fake news because there was, I think there was a video of Nancy Pelosi, the leader of the House Democrats for, in the U.S. There's a leader of her like misspeaking and the video implies that she's ill or something. And it was obviously doctored. Of course it was doctored, But a lot of people were saying it's not factually correct. Facebook has to take it down because it's leading to bad ideas. And Mark Zuckerberg said, no, we are a platform. We are not a publisher. Therefore, we are not going to take it down. So I wonder
0: why don't, they, why don't they, why uh, don't they, and we may have talked about this. I definitely talked about this with other friends. Why don't they create a mechanism just so you can like or comment on yeah. a post asking like, like, comment, uh, agree with, or something, something that indicates the percentage of people who have seen this that think this is accurate.
1: Uh, That's very interesting. That's a really good idea
0: because then they can be like hey we're not we're not making a decision to take it down we're letting the community speak and the community says it says on it 98 percent of people think this is fake or something like that
1: okay problem what happens when that it says that on real things you're now convincing the public that a real thing is fake because 98 percent of people disagree. So, for instance, there was a big problem with movie reviews. I think it was Rotten Tomatoes. There are a bunch of movies that just got like scorched like destroyed so Captain Marvel, I think was one of them uh, and uh, so there's a couple reasons why i I personally didn't think it was a great movie, but the uh, apparently the, so the audience score on Captain Marvel, for instance, is very low so apparently there was a lot of people who Maliciously downvoted it because they didn't like Brie Larson. What about Netflix? Netflix used to have the five stars. Now they switched to thumbs up, thumbs down. Why did Netflix switch from five stars to thumbs up, thumbs down? Uh, and I think one of the reasons was because of Amy Schumer. Schumer. Um, she had a Netflix special, and it got very negative reviews with the thumbs down. And as a result, a lot of people thought that it was sexist trolls commenting, my answer to that is I have no idea. I have literally no clue who rated Amy Schumer's Netflix special. So I'm not going to say yes or no, but a lot of people claimed that it was malicious intent and sexism. And then Netflix disabled that. And then eventually they got, they went to the thumbs up, thumbs down. Now they advertise it as we're catering it more towards what you want. You thumbs up something, we'll give you something that is more related to that. But I used to find the star rating was quite helpful. I thought the, the star rating was way better than the thumbs up, thumbs down. But this is one of the reasons that they got rid of it because it actually led to false positives. So I guess going back to what we were the overall our, the overall arching topic of our conversation, false positives, let's say Facebook, someone puts something up that's factual, a bunch of people say they disagree with it to a degree of like ninety eight percent to two percent, which is then a false positive. Do we leave that up? Or does Facebook then have to intervene and say, no, actually, this is accurate. This is not false.
0: Well, I'd like to see it tested. Okay. I I kind of hope that, kind of to our point earlier, like, it, I'd hope that it, if our gut says it's going to work better, it's for a good reason. Like, to me, yeah. I, I, I find it unlikely that something that is actually accurate <laughs> is going to have the vast majority of people saying it's fake.
1: Well, you, okay. Well, I, I think that may be true, but the only problem that I have here is if it happens, I would imagine Facebook would take down the or or ignore the ninety eight percent of people disagree to two percent of people agree and change that, which deflates er, erodes the whole purpose of putting that up in the first place. So again, that's why at the end of the day it comes down to is Facebook a platform or a publisher?
0: Yeah. And I so, guess maybe thinking about what I said more now, if, if it's a video that's, that's been doctored yeah, and it's, it's been done very well, then maybe the average person isn't going to be able to detect yeah. that, that it's been manipulated and you're yeah. going to need an expert or even like a, a computer AI, AI to actually detect that it's been fake. Yeah. So that's where it gets difficult.
1: And, and furthermore, there, there's actually been a lot of times in, in our society now where we've come to false positives. We have come to conclusions that were not actually what was going on and people suffered as a result. So this one's more political, but what about those kids from that, uh, what was that school? Covington High School in the US. There were a bunch of, uh, I think there were Trump supporter kids from a high school who went to Capitol Hill for one of the pro-life rallies? Now, regardless of what you or, I guess, myself or any listener thinks about that, whether you think they're terrible or not, I'm not going to assume their motive. They're they're like high school kids. Like, don't I don't think. What people was, should what
0: was the false positive in that? Case? So
1: essentially, there's a video of them surrounding a Native, um, uh, Native American, and he's banging on his drums, and they're like yelling their school chant. So everyone started tweeting out, oh, this is ridiculous. These kids intimidating this intimidated this man. Uh, look at them. I think Kathy Griffin, a comedian, requested their information to dox them. Now, a couple of days later, it turned out, well, actually, there were a bunch of real racist individuals, I think the black Israelites, who were yelling at African-Americans within the high school group. So there were some African-American students that were part of the high school wearing Make America Great Again hats. So these black Israelites were calling them, uh, I think the the term, I don't want to say anything bad, but I think the term is Uncle Tom that was used. They were saying that Trump supporters are going to eat these African-American students' guts. And a lot of the whole high school group didn't like that. So they started singing their school cheer to start getting amped up. That's usually what happens when a group of people is is being yelled at. You just pump yourselves up to, to drown out the negative sounds. And then this Native American individual with his drum, actually went into their circle. They didn't surround him. He went into their circle. And there's video evidence of him walking up, bang, banging the drum. And a lot of news media organizations a couple of days later admitted. They said, hey, sorry, we got this wrong. I think the like the, the view, which has definitely not been in favor of Donald Trump, came out and said, hey, uh, yeah, we, we got this wrong. We messed up. Like Joy Behar, Wolfie Goldberg on all these people. So. Again, that comes down to the false positives, which is sometimes, even if something that is not true supports your narrative, you may be willing to believe it, even when the truth comes later to go against that. And what are these social media companies willing to do? Yeah. If someone posted out that these kids are all racist, look at them intimidating this African-American man. So what we know now, that's objectively false.
0: But I didn't realize I didn't I I saw the video like when it happened. Yeah. But I didn't know that it was investigated so much. Like I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now for it. It's so long. There's 124 sources on it. Exactly. But yeah, Facebook, they have a hard job. It's not it's not easy. And that's why I think the
1: simple truth to because it's so difficult, I think the answer should be you're a platform, you operate under the guides of American law which is you are not allowed to call for violence because that's calling for violence is one step removed from violence and that's already illegal. But after that, it's fine. That unfortunately that ha- like, because it's such a hard job, if you want to maintain, maintain that you are not biased, you need to be very rigid with your guidelines. You, and you also almost have to have no guidelines. A lot of people on YouTube say YouTube is quite biased against conservatives. Uh, and
0: so the hard part, the hard part is when, when, you know, a foreign country interferes and it influences an election potentially. Yeah. I don't know if this has been confirmed. I I don't even know where it's at, but you know, um, like, like what, what duty does Facebook have to prevent foreign countries from interfering in the election by spreading fake news?
1: Okay, so first question: Is election interference bad? That's the first question you have to ask. Is it bad?
0: Well, I think I think deliberately spreading fake news is bad. Okay. What about so misleading people is bad?
1: What about interference, but not through fake news, but just interference?
0: I mean, if you're, I think intent matters. Okay. Right. So, like, if if a democracy like the u.s is interfering in a dictatorship to try to uh improve the quality of life for their citizens i think there's a strong argument to say that's a good thing when it's the other way around and a country that's more of a dictatorship is trying to wreak havoc on the world or something like that's that's a problem i think
1: okay i'm going to play devil's advocate now i want to say this for listeners i am not supporting this position i'm just playing devil's advocate Now, Russia uh, interference in the US election. I'm pretty sure the evidence came out that they were actually just doing it to cause havoc, not uh, picking a particular side, and they were just doing it to cause havoc. However, let's say they were doing it to support Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Let's say they were doing that deliberately because they didn't want sanctions on their country. Now, again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not supporting it. But I I can use... I can I can go for step by step by step. Russia does not like the sanctions on its people. It, uh, or mind you, I know Putin is not your normal, democratically elected leader to say that, and I have a smile on my face. But I can you can understand that idea of they think one leader will be less strict on them than the other, and that is going to benefit their people. Therefore, it's in their people's best interest.
0: No, I get about, why. I, I get why Russia would do it.
1: Yeah. Okay, I have I have a better question about election interference. Okay. Um, my opinion about election interference and my opinion about fake news is that no one really cares. You only care if the other side does it. So we in Canada had an election uh, last year. Justin Trudeau won. In the election season, Greta Thunberg, a 16-year-old climate activist, went to Alberta to campaign on behalf of the Liberals. I, th- like, I, I don't... A lot of people say this is good, that's fine because for anyone listening who doesn't know Alberta is where the Canadian oil and gas industry is. Greta Thunberg is quite evidently against oil and gas. So she went to Alberta to campaign for the Liberals and urge people to not vote for the Conservatives who would be in favour of oil and gas. I view this as election interference. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not also saying it's good, but I'm just saying that it is election interference. She is coming in an election cycle not going to every single spot in the in the uh, country going to the the one area that is only going to be conservative to advocate for the opposite parties without a doubt that's election interference Barack Obama endor- endorsed Justin Trudeau without a doubt that's ele- an election interference I'm not saying it's bad I'm just saying it's interference so again if you want to, if people want to call out election interference my argument is that you really don't care you only care if the other side doesn't so this sort of falls into that because no one was really saying election interference, election interference, election interference. They were just saying, oh, she's advocating good good causes.
0: So I, I agree with you that she's trying to influence the election in that example. Yeah. Um, so isn't, to me, isn't the issue if you're trying to promote fake news and deceive people?
1: That is very subjective. So she was advocating against the Canadian oil and gas industry, because in her perspective, it's wrong. In my perspective, oil and gas isn't great, but we Canada has the best environmental and safety standards, or if not the best, one of the top countries with environmental and safety standards across the world. If you're going to make oil and gas, do it here so the country can benefit from it, rather than somewhere else where there's no environmental regulation whatsoever. That, that's a different perspective that she doesn't hold.
0: So so and, what, what you're saying is that that you can make an argument that oil and gas is is a good thing. And but but what I'm saying is don't you think she believes that it's a bad thing? Like she is being don't you think she's being honest in her view? Even if you even if people might not agree and maybe her view is not the right thing. But yeah. like she do you not think that she is being truthful in in her view in her hate of oil and gas.
1: So that means that. I, I think she is, but if that's acceptable, which I'm not saying it isn't, I mean, yeah, again, yeah. a lot of this is playing devil's advocate for listeners, but if that is acceptable, that means we accept election interference if it's for a noble cause or the right cause. That is not objective standards. If we are against election interference, we are against it across the board. If we like election interference, only if it supports our agenda, then that just goes back to my original point, which is no one really cares unless it's supporting the opposite side.
0: To, to me, to me, the intent matters, right? Like just like yeah. the law that we've talked about, if her intent. Yeah. Like, sh- and, and like, the, what is she, she, I think she's being truthful in like her, she honestly doesn't believe oil and gas is good. Yeah. So versus if, if the Russian government interferes, and they are pretending not to be involved. And they've stated, they've, at least from what I've heard, they've claimed that they did not interfere. Yeah. And then, like I said, I, I, I should know, but I don't know if it's confirmed, but I've seen yeah. some strong evidence that they actually did, were involved or, or have yeah. lied. Yeah. They have a history of lying. So like, yeah. I think that matters. I think that, that plays a, a role.
1: Okay, I want to be devil advocate further. Okay, intent does matter. I know a lot of people from Alberta who, not entirely, but primarily due to some policies from the Liberal government, have hurt the Alberta oil industry quite significantly. This has led to some areas of Alberta where there's extreme poverty. Once thriving oil and gas communities have led to extreme poverty, where people are in dire, desperate situations. Her intent may be good, but there is a negative outcome from one perspective. Now. I want to make a transition here. The U.S. interfering in foreign country elections. A lot of people are very against U.S. interference in, former, in other countries or in foreign countries. One of the reasons for doing so is a lot of these other countries that the U.S. interferes do not have democracies. The U.S. views democracy as the best legal system or the best method of government. So they are interfering, I guess, on behalf of the citizens to overthrow the government and put in a democracy. What if the citizens don't want that? And also, forget about that. A lot of people are just in general against U.S. interference in foreign countries because they say, stop interfering with foreign people. Let them figure out their shit and let us figure out our stuff. Sorry if swearing is not allowed, but
0: but no, it's allowed. No, interfering
1: it, on noble causes is not always justified. I see what you're saying. I agree. Exactly, right? Like, I, I don't even it's, know where it's I It's complicated. Here, but, it's so yeah. complicated. Yeah and that, and and because it's so complicated the biggest thing that i've seen is that really no one cares about interference so, so long as it it's not in favor of the other side because some interference because uh, there there have been times where now i guess going to the us election where certain things happen to both sides of the party or sorry both sides of the political spectrum in the us but one side, the right or the conservatives don't say anything about uh, they, they don't say anything about the own problems on their side. they only address the other side's problems or issues, and they're totally fine with theirs, and the same thing happens from the left and the Democrats in their view on the right. No one has these standards that they apply unilaterally to both political spectrums so that yeah. and that's one of these problems yeah, I don't know things things are very complicated with this type of things, but
0: yeah, but it's, I, it's good to talk about it
1: yeah for the right. the facebook one's an interesting one i think that that's one for a separate conversation that you'll have to have
0: yeah uh, we'll have to do a follow-up yeah
1: facebook youtube twitter there you go that's <laughs> hours and hours of conversation
0: all right well we'll wrap up here
1: we'll wrap up here absolutely
0: thanks for doing this thanks for coming back on
1: no problem i much really uh, really appreciate it cool see you okay take care bye
0: Thanks again for tuning into Can I Ask You a Question? If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a rating on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you're listening from so that more people like you can discover it. Also, it'd be super helpful if you'd be willing to leave some feedback on any ideas you have for improving future conversations using the link in this episode's description. Thanks again and see you next time.